Husker fans, this season Woodhouse is helping us celebrate 100 years of Memorial Stadium. On the Through These Gates podcast series, we are revisiting some of the most memorable and legendary games throughout a century full of them, played inside one of the most historic stadiums in all of college football. Today's episode takes us back to October 31st, 1992, a victory for the Huskers that became known as the Halloween Massacre. A top 10 showdown between Nebraska and Colorado. The Buffaloes came in riding a 25-game Big 8 win streak. The last team to have beaten Colorado in conference play was the last time Nebraska beat Colorado in 1988. Trev Alberts and Ron Brown recall the lead-up to the matchup. There was a lot of talk about rivalries, and it just happened to be at that time Oklahoma wasn't quite... Uh, they had gone through some transitions, and so they weren't quite as competitive as they his historically had been. And, you know, Nebraska-Oklahoma was always the rivalry game, and then we had this other school that historically hadn't been as successful, uh, decided that, you know, they were going to name us their rival. And so that was a little bit awkward. Uh, but to their credit, you know, Colorado had really um, done a great job, and they brought in a lot of great talent in Boulder, and, and um, they were really good. And uh, it was it was challenging for us because uh, there was this new group uh, that had come in that we were struggling with uh, that were playing our style, our physical style. They were running the football, and uh, so yeah, there was some there was some concern. They may not have been our rival, but we were well aware of who they were, and we didn't particularly care for them too much. We knew that uh, Colorado had turned a corner. You know, they had won a title, a national title in 1990. Um, and uh, we had tied them in 1991 for the Big Eight Championship in a cold game out there in Boulder. It was a tie when they had ties. They didn't have overtime back then. So we ended up tying for the Big Eight title that year. So it was always a tough game. They had recruited extremely well. In the 92 season, it, it was a clear delineation in terms of what they wanted to do offensively. Uh, they hired offensive coaches that were interested in throwing the football. They started recruiting great receivers, drop back more like quarterbacks uh, rather than the option style. So we knew that we expected to see the ball in the air quite a bit, but um, they had quality athletes. And so that night was obviously a big game for us. On most Saturdays, Nebraska was kicking off at 1 p.m. But for this top 10 showdown, temporary lights were brought in for a night kickoff on a drizzly Halloween Eve. You know, we didn't even have permanent lights here. So I just remember um, a lot of hype around the game. We were both top 10 programs. You know, it was, you know, it was Halloween. Um, and then during the week, they started like strolling in these massive lights. And you could just, it just... You know, Jessica, just you could just feel it building up like this must be a really big deal. Because back in those days, you didn't play night games. I mean, it was not – I'm not saying we never did, but you had to rent – I mean, it had to be a big enough deal to spend the money to go rent temporary lights to play at night because we didn't have permanent lights. I mean, the average fan today wouldn't even think of that, right? We play so many night games. So the fact that it was at night, the fact that it was Halloween, and, and the fact that you could just, you could just sense and feel um, that, that this was going to be different. Um, but they also had totally changed their offense. They had decided to kind of go away from the Darian Hagen um, style of offense, and they had recruited Coy Detmer, you know, and, and they had Cordell Stewart, and they had Michael Westbrook, and they had uh, Ray Carruth, and they had... So they had 
this extreme talent, and um, we knew that it was going to be a real challenge for us, but just an opportunity to reestablish ourselves at home um, as, uh, you know, the leaders in the Big Eight at that time. Did that feel different? Because right now, like you said, you just take it for granted, like you, you play at all times of the day, but then it didn't happen. So did it, as a player, did it feel different to play at night? It felt so different. And, you know, we were so used to the games always, toe meets leather at 1 p.m. You know, like it was the same routine every single Saturday. We stayed over there on East Campus. We'd get up in the morning for breakfast. You'd come over. You'd have the police escort, you know, from East Campus. You'd walk through the deal. And this was just way different. We had to figure out, oh, we, we're playing at night. So I remember Coach Samuel, my position coach, he had us leave the room. You know, your family could come, but only for this time. We'd walk around a little bit. They were afraid of us just laying in bed all day and being lethargic. Um, we just didn't quite know what to do with ourselves. In the end, I think what happened was we just had all day to let our emotions and adrenaline kind of build up. And I think just... Yeah, there was so much built up that that first play, when my dear friend Travis Hill intercepted that first play, it was just this collective let out of emotion that had been building up for so many years and then throughout the course of that day as we were getting ready for the game. Colorado had moved from a smash-mouth ground attack to more of an air-it-out style of offense, and from the first pass, the black shirts were ready for it, making it a very long day for Colorado quarterback Corey Detmer. The very first play of the game, Detmer's pass tipped into the hands of Travis Hill to give the Husker offense the ball on the 15-yard line. Nebraska would capitalize on the turnover on Calvin Jones' first touchdown of the day. 7-0, Nebraska would take the lead with just over a minute off the clock in the first quarter. For me, that was the loudest game ever because it was also it was right in that south end zone and where it was just wild and crazy. And, uh, uh, you know, it was also a night game where, you know, people also, the fans were spending the day getting ready. So they also had this emotion that was really built up. And so um, it just, you know, it just had this, it was gray, kind of misty. It just felt ominous in a sense. And um it just, it just matched the entire evening, and it just snowballed in Colorado. But we set the tone that first play uh, with that interception by Travis. It would remain 7-0 through the first, and on the Huskers' first offensive possession of the second quarter, the first play was a handoff to Jones, who found room on the outside 47 yards and in for his second score as Nebraska took a 14-0 lead as oranges were already raining down onto the field. Frazier takes the snap. Gives it on a counter play. Jones runs behind a blocker. 45, 40, 35, 30, 25, 15. He's gone. Touchdown. 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 Tremendous blocking by Will Shields and Rob Zanisket. But Calvin Jones, who's averaging nine yards per carry, busts a 47-yarder against the Buffaloes. Jones with two touchdowns in this game. Yeah, Calvin, he, he got so excited that um, I think he may have fumbled before he crossed the goal line. Um, thankfully, we didn't have instant replay in those days, and thankfully we didn't have the 15-yard penalty if you took your helmet off because Calvin got his helmet off fast a couple times. But uh, just a couple counterplays, simple counterplays, uh, great you know, offside guard and tackle pulling around, great blocking downfield by the wide receivers, and um, just... You know, a couple of those runs answered some Colorado momentum and really just kind of 
I think, you know, we always talked about when, um, when you have a chance where a team is kind of on the verge of wilting, you have to be able to shut the door on them. And, and a couple of Calvin's runs were, were in that mode. Calvin was a big play guy, boy. I tell you, he, uh, he ran the ball really well. He had a great season. Um, you know, he, uh, he, he had six touchdowns in one game against uh, Kansas in, a, in, a, in another season. Uh, so we knew we had a great player in him. But we, our IBAC, the, 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 the IBACs that we had were all big-time guys, really good players. I think the key to our football team was just the fact that we were, the mindset was we're going to out-tough you. We're going to smack you and, and hit you. We hadn't won a national championship yet, but we were moving in that direction because before we were going to be a national championship team, we were going to be the most physical team in college football. And that's just the way our system worked, and certainly it showed up that night. With 631 left in the second, Detmer threw his second interception. Nebraska added a field goal to go up 17-0. The Buffaloes would finally get on the board with their one score of the day with 337 in the second to cut it to 17-7. With two minutes in the half, another takeaway from the Blackshirts and Travis Hill, giving the offense another opportunity to score going into half. With 103 on the clock, third down and four, the fumble ruski to Will Shields would set up Calvin Jones' third score of the day and a 24-7 halftime lead. Coach Osborne always had a player or two like that, and the fumble ruski not long after that got outlawed. You couldn't do that anymore. But, you know, Will Will was just such a great athlete. I mean, he um, he was over 300 pounds, and I remember going back and I've watched that game several times on TV afterwards. And uh, after that Fumbaruski, uh, Bill Mar- they show him on the sideline. And Bill McCartney goes over and talks to the defensive coordinator and basically said, I, I told you they were going to run that play. You know, that's the Fumbaruski. Um, but that's Coach Osborne. He was so strategic about knowing when to call that play at a time that nobody, I don't think our fans anticipated that. Certainly Colorado's defense didn't. Um, and it was in a, in a position of risk, and yet it was just executed uh, flawlessly. I do remember uh, it, while it hadn't been outlawed yet, it was something that we at Nebraska had kind of perfected. You know, Dean Steinkohler and others, Will was a fantastic athlete. Will was the Outland Trophy winner that year. Uh, so I think it fit. You know, Will, Will Shields probably could have played a number of positions just because of his athletic ability. Certainly a great, one of the greatest offensive uh, linemen ever to play here and in college football, and in pro football. In the third quarter, yet another Detmer interception. This one hauled in by Mike Anderson. Would lead to Tommy Frazier's first passing touchdown to Gerald Armstrong. His second, a 48-yard deep pass to Corey Dixon. The freshman quarterback also accounting for 86 rushing yards of the 373 total that the Nebraska offense racked up on the ground that day. You know, Tommy, what, what he brought to the team was a confidence and swagger. And even as a freshman, you know, there was a couple times, you know, it looked like uh, Dion figures or somebody had a massive hit on him. The reality was we played on AstroTurf. It was misty, and uh, Tommy slipped a couple times. But, you know, wasn't afraid to get, get in the face. Of, never did anything. He didn't get 15-yard penalties, but he wasn't going to be intimidated by anybody. And that started when he was a true freshman. So that really kind of sets the tone when your leader – and a guy on offense who's who's carrying the ball all the time has extreme confidence in himself and isn't rattled by a really physical. I mean, you you look at their defense, Chad Brown, um, uh, Renfro. I mean, they had five or six NFL 
players that played substantial amount of time. Teddy Johnson in the NFL, uh, great players. And uh, Tommy, Tommy took it to him. He probably had as much confidence as any true freshman I've ever seen here. And, you know, he, he took over. When he took over, he took over. I mean, it wasn't any – I remember the first day in the huddle as his freshman year uh, in practice, uh, it was kind of noisy. And I think people, you know, probably had a little slight disrespect for him. Who is this big-time guy, blah, blah, blah. And he said, shut up. I'm the quarterback. When I'm in the huddle, nobody else talks. And he got real silent. And for the rest of the time, every single time he stepped in that huddle, that's the kind of culture it was. It was quiet. Everybody was listening. And you know what? For a guy who was never selected as a captain on our football team, um, particularly at that position at quarterback, which is a natural captain leadership team, people necessarily did not like Tommy, but they respected him. Everybody knew, even though he was not the captain or the, quote, team leader, you don't see his pictures up, he wasn't captain, this, that, and the other, everybody knew who the leader was. It was Tommy Frazier, and he led. He was, a, he was a very courageous leader. The Nebraska defense was just suffocating. An ESPN graphic in the fourth quarter displayed the stats from the black shirts past defense. Five sacks, 12 knockdowns, four hurries, two block passes, three interceptions and the Buffaloes managing just eight rushing yards the entire game. I don't think anybody thought going into that game that that it would end up that way but um, you know we um, we always would play you know two or three games at the start of the season generally non-conference games and we tried to get a lot of guys into the game and so as you got to a point later in your career as a junior senior if you were a starter or black shirt you know the goal was always to be because we were always so hungry unlike these young men today who seem like they have unlimited food, right? There's this nutrition. The old school philosophy was you, you couldn't eat too much because it would make you lethargic or slow. So, you know, George Sullivan, our old athletic trainer, who's in charge of all the food, kind of limited the amount of calories we had prior to games. So we were just starving. And we took great pride in, in the fourth quarter, if you were sitting on the bench with your tape off, your gloves off, and maybe you could steal a Runza or one of those hot dogs. Then you knew. And I just remember sitting on the bench, looking up. I'm eating a hot dog against Colorado, a top 10 team, pretty early in the fourth quarter, thinking to myself, that's how I knew that we had a great game. Nobody would have ever predicted that we'd have the tape off, you're done playing as a defense, against Colorado early in the fourth quarter and having an opportunity to get one of those hot dogs on the sideline. That, that, that was what the shock was. And I, I just, I will always remember that. I can't believe that we have dominated them to that level that I'm done. Don't even have to play the rest of the game. Got three, three and a half quarters in and getting a hot dog over here. That was pretty cool. Oh, that's amazing. What a great story. <laughs> wow. Well, that sounds like Coach Tony Samuel's defensive ends and outside linebackers to me. Tony was a chilled-out guy, of course, a great coach, and those, nobody played harder than the Trev Albers gang, that outside linebacker crew, those defensive ends. Uh, but my receivers weren't going to be eating hot dogs on the sideline. I can tell you that right now. If I ever saw that, <laughs> they would be the next hot dog to be eaten. When the clock ticked down to zero, and with the scoreboard display of 52-7, to seven, fans rushed the field, and down came the goalposts as the Huskers knocked off a top-10 team for the first time since 1988. The Huskers would go on to win the Big 8 title and earn a berth in the Orange Bowl. 
the first of four straight appearances in the Orange Bowl and five of the next six. The Halloween Massacre in 1992, a launching point for what was to come of Husker football dominance in the 1990s. I remember us beating up on them really well that night and a confidence booster. There was something about the 92 season that even the bowl game that year that we played in, we were much closer. We lost to Florida State that year, but we were much closer. You could see there was something different about us. We had won the big eight conference. Uh, yeah, they, we, we, we hadn't arrived yet, but we were on the verge of it. And the bowl game proved that we were getting closer to the national powerhouses. And that's part of our challenge, right? I mean, we've had a taste of what that feels like, and it felt so good. I mean, it just... You know, as you mentioned earlier, I mean, just the pent up emotion that was built up over time based on our previous struggles and not just the struggles against Colorado, but there was a larger picture here. I mean, we had had some just consistent struggles against bigger teams and ranked teams. And so to just kind of let it all out, it was just it wasn't just our team. It was our entire state. It was our fan base, this collective and it really carried to the next week because a lot of people forget the next week we played also another top 10 team in Kansas the following week, also on national television, and uh, we dominated them about the same way. So the momentum from this game uh, I think was a real turning point, not just for the season, but you know, it, it started You know, the next game then. We, we really dominated Kansas, and, and while we lost to Florida State, um, I think it was 28-14 to 14 in the Orange Bowl, the tide started shifting a little bit. You know, we started, we had more speed. There was a belief. There was some confidence. And then we went into the 93 year. Obviously, we didn't win the national championship, but made it. And, it, you know, and a lot of that, you know, coincided with Tommy Frazier. That was his freshman year, and he continued to grow. But he brought a belief, a confidence that really infected uh, the entire team um, in a really positive way. Anything else from that game I should make sure and include in this? Any Stories are. I, I I can neither confirm or deny, but I'm I'm somewhat confident that portions of the goalpost I saw later that evening, but I cannot confirm or deny that, or confirm or deny where the location of it was. But I may have seen some of the goalpost later that evening. Oh, I love it. That's great. <laughs> Thanks to Woodhouse for helping us celebrate 100 years of Memorial Stadium this season. Woodhouse Auto Family is your trusted auto partner with 20 brands and 20 convenient sales and service locations. We're making car buying on your terms. Visit us online at woodhouse.com. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Jessica Cootie with the Huskers Radio Network.